Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. Find us on your favorite podcast platform and make sure to hit subscribe. Uh, Corey, as we uh, get into the uh, middle of July, uh, the weather was hot on Saturday, but uh, we finally tapered back off. How was uh, life at the popcorn wagon? It was pretty, it was okay, I guess. It was, we switched the hours this week. Instead of going 11 to 5, we went 10 to 4 to try and get an extra cool hour out of there and I told my dad, I think the 4th of July weekend was actually hotter, so I don't think it ended up getting as warm as they thought, but uh, he told me this morning on the way to, I called him on my phone actually, and he said that the forecast for this week is supposed to be like 90s again, so might be another 10 to 4 weekend. This uh, It seems like it saves it for the weekend, which isn't always good for you guys. Uh, but uh, as always, the uh, Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, Come hungry, leave happy. A lot of people took advantage of the Christmas in July special. I made a lot of popcorn for people. I was uh, hearing that uh, uh, that uh, sale was, was going well. Others were gladly uh, taking advantage of yes, that. Yes, they were. So there's still uh, a little bit of time left for that, uh, or is that just this past weekend only? We're just doing that one weekend. Only one All weekend. Right. Sorry. If you didn't make it last weekend, just come buy other popcorn. <laughs> there you go. So as we uh, look at our... our uh, What's on docket for our, our podcast today? Uh, we're going to cover some news and notes on, on current uh, events as we gear up for. Uh, we're in single digits now before baseball officially begins. Uh, yeah, I've seen one, some games. One hand. One hand. Uh, very excited uh, about that. Uh, looking forward to uh, Thursday's uh, miniature opening. And then Friday all day. Uh, Scherzer, Cole on opening day, right? Thursday has Scherzer versus Cole. Like, what else can they ask for? I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you're on, on Friday. My uh, uh, pitching uh, uh, matchup is uh, Hyunjin Ru versus uh, Charlie Morton. So like I'm looking it. forward to that one. one. That's a good one. Well, uh, we're going to cover news and notes, and then we're going to take a look at our uh, – we made our way to center field for our – our GOAT series, greatest of all time, uh, who are our top nine center fielders. And as we mentioned, when it comes to the outfield, uh, it is uh, pick your poison. Uh, the the uh, star-studded classes, uh, as you would expect it to be, uh, trying to figure out who do you pick one and, and uh, another group of three or four here, where all are, are legendary. Uh, it'll be an interesting list. But let's start with news and notes. Uh, we have a lot of uh, yes and no's uh, taking place this past week. Let's start with Yaziel Puig, who signed and then not signed. So he agreed to a contract with the Braves, and we talked about the Braves a lot on this podcast. They had already had Nick Markakis opt out. So I assumed yeah, the plan was Yaziel Puig was going to fill in in probably right field with Azuna and Enciarte, but didn't happen because in order to sign a contract, you have to have a physical, and it was – during this physical that he was found to be testing positive for COVID-19 and the Braves said, we're not going to need your services at this time, get healthy, but no contract signed. I do wonder if, if everything gets past this, if he shows he's healthy, I, I'm, I'm kind of seeing a, uh, a new agreement taking place. 
they already have a a, a chance to line up with. He's going to miss like the first week or, or so of, of the year, but it depends what his symptoms are are like. Uh, if things aren't too bad, I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't revisit the deal. Could happen again in August, right? It's not a, it's a short season, but not short enough that if he's not healthy within two three weeks, there's no reason they couldn't say come back. We'll still use you because Yasiel Puig is shown during his career to be a pretty good player. So he can be a. I think he's one of the guys that could benefit from the shortened season, be a, a spark plug type mm-hmm. of energy player that uh, could do well. He's a a rebound candidate. Uh, and I think he would, would fit very well uh, with the Braves. The Braves are one of the teams that have been hit the hardest, if not the hardest, by uh, COVID-related issues. Freddie Freeman, if you heard some of his interviews. It sounded rough. Rough. That hit the corona, COVID-19. We know there's symptomatic and there's asymptomatic. Freddie Freeman had it. I believe the quote was, ton of bricks and literally saying prayers to God to make sure that he wasn't going to die that day. So I saw the videos. He's back and taking grounders. I don't know if he's, I don't know if it was actually at camp, but he's taking grounders. So we're glad to see that. Definitely making progress and good to see. Uh, then you also have his example. He, that's the one that scared Mark, Mark Hakus into saying, you know what? I'm not playing around with this. I'm happy to opt out uh, for this, uh, this year. Uh, and that, that was striking uh, to me and that you already have an example from a teammate that is what led you to saying, you know what, not worth it, I'm out. Marquez is not a young player anyways. He's no. had a very nice, actually really impressive career that he probably doesn't get credit for. Some of those Baltimore's are really good. Led the league and hits a couple of years. An on-base machine. Yeah, so Marquez already had up right there in years. Had a, doesn't have anything really to prove in the game. I'm sure he'd love a World Series, but other than that, yeah, if, if a young player, a Freddie Freeman top-of-your-prime player is getting hit that hard, why take the chance? And plenty of players are opting out. I don't did we only? I only saw one this week. Joe Smith was a relief pitcher. I saw opted out. Anybody else? Did you see any? No one else, as far as I'm aware of. Nothing that came across my uh, uh, screen. Uh, outside of the Braves, I think the Tampa Bay Rays have been hit uh, one of the hardest with uh, with teams. You have uh, mul- three starting pitchers: Yanni Chirinos. Uh, you have Tyler Glass now, and the unconfirmed one yet is Brendan McKay. He hasn't been at camp, but it sure yeah. seems like that's. It's always afterwards you find out again you have the uh, the restrictions and what teams can and can't say in public. The player has to sign off on it, and usually they're fine with signing off on it after they're back at camp. Uh, but you have those pitchers. You have Austin Meadows, who's uh, now on the the COVID uh, uh, injured list. Injured list, uh, and then uh, uh, Jose Martinez. I said my I've said my Jose Martinez thoughts on previous podcasts. I yep. think he's really good. So he's back at camp. Uh, Hoping that he'll be ready by the start of the year already. Good. Uh, so, uh, asymptomatic. Go get going, right? That should be. Uh, he's the As one that should have to step up. Then the he's someone who could benefit from yeah. this uh, this layoff. I think the transitioning to America, transitioning to the the, the higher speeds. He's had a few more months, uh, and then heading back home and coming back. He, he said he's already seen a major difference from where he started to where he is now. So I, I'm hoping he's ready to. Uh, to hit well uh, right out of the gate. Their depth is going to be tested. We were talk- we talked about their depth a lot of times. It's going to be tested early on because at least some of those pitchers aren't going to be ready right away. So we'll see what they're going to throw out there. Absolutely. We have another one of our uh, yes and no's uh, with uh, Domingo Domingo Herman. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, his uh, interesting week? So we mentioned Domingo Herman in our Yankees preview that he had had He's been he was suspended for 80 games on a full season which over a 60 game season meant he was suspended the entire season. And so he posted some rather cryptic 
message in Spanish on, I believe, Instagram. And the rough translation was, thanks, it's been fun. I'm calling it a career was essentially what he said. And everybody thought that he basically was having some mental health issues and had decided to retire. And that kind of spread like wildfire. And within a day or two, he backed out and said, no, I'm not planning to retire. So Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, came out today and said, I'm not really sure what's going on with Domingo Herman. So I I hope he's back. He's a good pitcher, I guess. <laughs> I think you're dealing with a lot of frustration of uh, what is already a challenging year on top of not being able to play uh, and not play because of being suspended. So you have a, a mixture of emotions going through. Uh, at that time, wouldn't be a, a bit surprised if a lot of that just came together to create a uh, uh, boiling point. Yes, his was a domestic violence incident, so I don't remember if it what exactly happened there. But he was suspended for domestic violence, and I know his his post was something about he wanted to spend more time with his family, which you, you know, well, everybody wants to spend time with their family. I hope it's all working out for him. Hopefully, they've worked out whatever their problem was. But Domingo Herman apparently unretired after retiring in within a matter of days. So that one beats a Brett Favre for shortest retirements. There you go. Uh, what about the uh, the Buffalo Blue Jays? Uh, the uh, It's definitely not Toronto this year. So Canada has closed their border to the United States. So right now they're actually all 60 of them are up in Canada because they did their two-week quarantine period, and they're all up there practicing. And then I believe they start the season against your Rays. We were just talking about that. Yeah, they start the season against the Rays. So the second that originally I was, they're not going to take all 60 of them. So when the 30 of them leave to go to Tampa Bay, they will not be allowed back into Canada. So any player that leaves will be playing out of a suitcase from that point on the rest of the season. And Buffalo is where Toronto's AAA system is. I think it's AAA. One of their minor league systems is in Buffalo. And they've said, we'll let you play your games here. So they're going to play out of a minor league stadium. So has that been confirmed? It is Buffalo. I know that was talked That's about. The one I, I think. I'll check. I'm pretty sure it's both. And uh, uh, that was always going to be the challenge. Toronto was the one that, through the end of May, they said it early that they were going to uh, keep all major group gatherings uh, canceled. No major sports taking place uh, within. They were one of the first uh, cities to plan things out that far uh, in advance. So this was always the question mark was, uh, if the Blue Jays could could play. And, and I know that there's some that are arguing like, well, you already have uh, the NHL uh, taking place there, so like, why are you uh, allowing one versus the other? And, and you mentioned it. It's the, the travel back and forth. A bubble situation, Toronto's comfortable with. Coming back and forth from potential hotbed areas, that's a, a, that was a deal breaker. So the Buffalo team is the Bisons, and there here's their statement. The Bisons organization has been in discussion with the Blue Jays for several days about the possibility of hosting Major League Baseball games at Salem, Salem Field. We are continuing to explore the best ways to adapt the available spaces in our Baltar to meet the needs of the Blue Jays. So minor league fields, if you've ever been to one or have a hard time reaching Major League dimensions, Buffalo, it has to be, or else I'm sure they wouldn't even be considering it. But I know that they have very short fences. Some people were talking about it would play as a... They expected to play as a very easy hitters park, so that would be interesting to watch. It's a uh, just think that we're only uh, we're only a couple of days away from the season beginning, and they don't know where they're actually having their season. Uh, just part of the wild ride that is known as uh, baseball in twenty twenty. Can you imagine? I said, can you imagine even if you're you know Vlad Guerrero twenty ish, twenty one years old now, living out of a suitcase for 
two months and play literally no home games. I mean, yeah, you could say the Bison are a home game. Buffalo is a home, but is it a home if you're living in a hotel? Probably not. It'd be really hard on these guys. Yeah, I think that's one of the the challenges that we're looking at for them uh, this year is uh, this is going to impact them more than than any other team. Uh, it, you're used to it in spring training. You go and do that. So some things are going to be similar, but you always get home for part of it. And there's going to be no home. This is going to be one gigantic uh, away trip uh, for multiple months. You would have to think that that's going to eventually take its toll. Yeah, I, I had I mentioned in our AL East pod, podcast, I had high hopes for the Blue Jays this year. I really thought that they could at least make a run at a wild card. It's going to be it's going to be extra challenging on them. It's going to be a challenging year for a lot of teams, but this will not help the Blue Jays to not have a quote unquote home game. So yeah, I feel for them on that one. But I understand the Canadian government's plan. They've said, look, our numbers are going down and look, United States, your numbers aren't. So we don't want you to come in here and their two week quarantine period. That's their, I believe it's a law up there. So if they, if you can't quarantine, you can't come in. So yeah, that's a law. This is like we said, just part of the, the wild ride that this year is. And, and uh, uh, speaking of wild rides, uh, you had one this past week as you were uh, invited to be a, a guest for the CBS Fantasy Sports uh, Baseball Drafts, and uh, not one, but but two of them uh, this past week, uh, invited by uh, their leading uh, fantasy uh, expert and writer, Scott White. Uh, so how did uh, how did that come about? How did you, how did it work? What were your so, thoughts on it? So Scott White, uh, been a fan. Of, I've listened to the CBS Fantasy Baseball podcast for a long time, and I know that they've done you know, industry drafts, they call them, and mock drafts, and he puts up big. A lot, gets a lot of people that want to participate in them. And I just threw my name in the ring, said, look, we've got a podcast, threw my name in the ring, fully expecting to not hear from him because I thought, oh, whatever. And I did. And he invited me to not one, but you said two. I did a head-to-head categories, which is runs, home runs, RBIs, stolen bases, and batting average for hitters. And for pitchers, it's wins, saves, Ks, ERA, and whip. And, uh, did that one, I believe, Tuesday night. I texted you about that, and I was pretty proud of my team. I felt like it was a on-brand team for for us. So I you know, got Ryu and Alex Wood and some of the players I talk about how much I really like. And I must have done something right because the next day he messaged me. He said, I was pretty proud, impressed with you. Would you like to do another one? I said, sure, why not? What time is it? And Thursday night I drafted a – it's called a rotisserie league. So essentially it's the same stats, but instead of playing weekly matchups, you try and accumulate them over the course of the year. And I drafted from the fifth spot. Both cases, I got Mookie Betts. So, you know, once again, on brand, because I've talked about Mookie Betts. So I think he could have an amazing year. And Mike Clevenger was on team. And I got Alex Wood again. So, I... Uh, there were some trends between There were some the trends. Two. Hey, those are my guys. So, you pick your players. And I felt pretty good. And I, he was very, very nice guy. I'd, I'd never obviously had a chance to talk to him or meet him. But now we messaged back and forth a few times. And he was very thankful for me helping out. And I was very thankful for him putting out putting our new podcast out there and getting some more follows, hopefully. And again, uh, just a way that uh, the Heater podcast has uh, gone national in this right. past week. Uh, not and too bad. To, We're doing pretty good here. Uh, That's not long to go it, national recognition around here. And uh, hitting your stride right uh, as the season is getting ready to kick off. We're spring training ready. We're regular season ready. Uh, get ready for uh, an excellent year of, of baseball coverage. If you want to see those teams, go to the CBS Sports fantasy baseball site and you can look at all 
like he's got like 30 drafts on there that they've done since you know they thought season was going to start in April so they've been doing mock drafts and these were the last two so I got into the very end ones and you can see them on there I picked sixth and fifth and see the my name and the other industry experts and yeah it was a good time I had a whole fun I hope I get invited again uh, have you played uh, uh, fantasy baseball for a, a number of years or what's your experience with the fantasy baseball yeah I, I've played it for a while I think I think Fantasy baseball, actually, I have more fun with than fantasy football. I know most people go nuts for fantasy football, and I play fantasy football. I like fantasy baseball. It's just the the, the skill, I guess, required of it. It takes a little more time. It, it does. I think that's what's kept me uh, away. I haven't had the time to dedicate to it if I'd really want to dive in because instead of setting my lineup once a week, uh, this is a whole different uh, ball of wax. And I do have to admit, I, only have, I usually have two or three teams. I only have one team this year because I – with the weird season, I just didn't know when it was going to start, so I didn't schedule it. So I drafted one, the only team I'm doing, I drafted back in mid-March, and I took advantage of the coronavirus. So I got, like, Mike Clevenger in the 6th, 7th round, and Giancarlo Stanton really late when they were all thought they were injured. So I have a very good team. So we'll see how I do. I'll, I'll update you a couple times throughout the podcast. What what did you learn from the experience this week, now doing two of them as with the, the last ones right before the year begins? Uh, anything that you... Uh, learned overall and, and any trends that you saw uh, that you found interesting going through the draft relief pitchers got pushed up because people aren't sure with with the start of the season our, our starter is going to be willing to go so if you already have a 60 game season you're, you're it's a sprint right we've talked about the sprint and I'd say the high-end relievers the Josh haters Roberto Asuna's uh, or all Chapman even though we had coronavirus got picked very early those type of players that you'd think have stability as a closer got picked earlier than and I was willing to take them. I waited till the mid rounds and I got guys like Liam Hendricks, who I really like and Taylor Rogers, but I would, I would I, not take Josh Hader where he went either of the drafts. I was glad you picked up a Nick Anderson in the second, oh, yeah. uh, I took Nick in the Anderson. second draft that those you are, did that's there. My that's a uh, high strikeout relief pitchers, right? That's what Liam Hendricks, Nick Anderson, those guys have that in common. I can get their production of Josh Hader six rounds later. I will take it all the time in our, uh, uh Second podcast later this week. I'm already going to give you a, a preview. The uh, uh, we are keeping uh, our some of our top storylines and over unders uh, under a tight lid. We haven't revealed them to each other, but I'm giving you one right now, uh, just because it, it fits very well here. Uh, will it be a reliever or a starting pitcher that has the most wins uh, in this year? Uh, because your starting pitchers are looking at if everyone stays healthy, you're looking at 12 starts maximum of 12 wins. These relief pitchers are going to be in more games. You have a chance that you have uh, more relief pitchers with higher wins than you do starting pitchers by the end of the season. Oh, yeah. Some of these guys are going to get in there in 60 games. You might you might still be able to get 20 appearances or so. So, yeah, there's a chance that some of those middle relief pitchers, there's always a, every year some middle reliever finds a way into a dozen wins in a short year like this. Yeah, it could happen. Uh. Was there anyone that you were surprised to see uh, being drafted uh, higher than anticipated? Do you notice anyone, uh, a player like between both drafts, is there anyone you're seeing that was really, besides relief pitchers that were being The one that we, we, you know, when you're in the drafts, you can have some messaging. So we messaged all 12 of us for message back and forth. The one person that I think is probably the most, like, divisive player is Aldoberto Mondesi. Because he has such an interesting skill set, even in 60 games, he could steal 25-plus bases fairly easily. Ned Yost is going to let him run. He's going to do that, though. We were debating, is he going to have a 300 on base percentage? Because he doesn't walk. Not batting average on base percentage. He doesn't walk. He's got a very strange skill set. He can hit for power. He could be 
unbelievable in a 60 game season. If he would steal, if he hits 10 home runs and steals 25 bases, that is not out of the realm of possibility. So I think he went in the third round in one and the third round in the other, maybe. And that's really high. I, I would not have taken him that high just because shortstop is pretty deep anyways. But yeah, there is a chance if he did that, that makes him probably the most valuable player in fantasy. The other one that gets pushed up a lot was Shohei Otani. Cause people are wondering, let's say he makes eight starts, wins five of them with a good ERA and a whip. And then he goes and hits the other days, hits 10 home runs, steals five bases. Then you're once again, you're in contention for the most valuable player in fantasy. So those were the two that I would say had the most dis- discussion amongst us you know, analysts. I just said us, us analysts. That means me too. Yeah, I was going to say, you and, you and Scotty, uh, <laughs> BFFs now. Uh, right, so yeah. uh, as we uh, transition out of uh, current news and notes, we'll keep you apprised on things throughout the, the coming days and weeks. We'll also give you uh, different uh, uh, fantasy snippets along the way. Uh, again, this won't be a, a major component uh, of us week in and week out, but it is something that we will track and be a part of uh, and provide some insights along the way as well, uh, provided that I still have access to, to Corey after Scotty takes him away. Not so. big time in you yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, ta- speaking of big time, let's talk about uh, the big timers. Let's look at center field. We'll look at our, our starting nine. Uh, and as we have been doing, as we've been going position by position with this, uh, we have our top nine that we're going to to walk through. But let's take a look at our just missed category, uh, or at least the uh, we each have uh, two that are different here. I and mean, we don't know the the order in which we have them listed here. We won't know till you know. Uh, but uh, we do have two that were different. So why don't we talk about them? Why don't you grab yours first? So my two that you had that or that I had that you do not have are Richie Ashburn, so famous for his Phillies days, and Duke Snyder. And those are both 1950s era center fielders, which note of the week, 1950s, real impressive time to play center field. Duke Snyder, also part of the New York area center field, to talk a lot about that too. Both players, good hitters, spent their entire careers. And Richie Ashburn actually goes back and does some broadcasting in Philadelphia. They're going to be fairly low on my list, but they're going to be on my list. I was trying to find it. Okay, it was uh, definitely a few years afterwards. I knew it was more like 70s-ish. I just couldn't remember the the full decade. I was off by about 15 years. Uh, but uh, John Fogarty's center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite baseball song uh, leading one. up to it, uh, and especially for, for center, that was always the shortstop and, and center field those were always the two prime positions where did you want to play uh growing up right if it wasn't pitching have you seen that meme that's going around that has where all the kids are like like right field is like worst play player center field's like speediest kid and I don't, it's it's good I, i'll see if i find it for you uh, pretty much right field was me they put it, me where i was where could i do the least amount of damage that's, that's what it basically it's like pitchers catchers coaches kid and i'll see if i can find it so we are looking at our starting nine. You mentioned your two uh, that were uh, on your list that are not in mine. And then mine for, for you was uh, uh, Oscar Charlton, who I'll talk about a little bit more. But uh, normally when you think of the, uh, the Negro Leagues, uh, you are talking about, and the names that stand out the most, you're talking about Satchel Page and Josh Gibson. Uh, after seeing uh, some and lo- doing some center fielder uh, research, his name kept coming up, uh, and uh, after looking more at it, I understand why uh, some people say he should be mentioned in the same breath as as those. So that was kind of interesting for That's me, as one. well as 
Uh, uh, we have our Midwest uh, hometown guy for uh, Minnesota anyways, Kirby Puckett. Uh, I was comfortable putting him in my top nine, and I'll tell you more reasons why when we dive into that. So why don't we look at number nine as we start our list? Uh, who do you have for yours? Well, here is my Richie Ashburn. So I would I put down I had him down as the preeminent leadoff hitter before Ricky Henderson. So we talked about Ricky Henderson last week and left, and Richie Ashburn batted leadoff for a lot of years, and I put him down as preeminent pre <laughs> Ricky Henderson. So the first of the 1950s center fielders I'm going to mention. There's going to be a lot of them. He's got two batting titles, four walk titles. So he's getting on base. That's what you want in your center or in your leadoff hitter. Nine times over 300 with a career average of 308 and a career on base percentage of 396. Defensively, he's got six of the top 10 seasons all time in putouts. Those are all recorded by him. Spent most of his 15 years with the Phillies, ended his last couple with the Cubs and the Mets. Then he went back to broadcasting, so he was the voice of Philadelphia for 35 more years. Five times an all-star. Six straight seasons of five-plus war. He had seven total like that. He is my number nine. My number nine is Kirby Puckett and a, uh, a shortened career, uh, 12 years, definitely probably one of the, the lowest uh, on longevity that we've had in, in all of our lists to this point. Uh, didn't get a start till age 24, uh, but finished third in Rookie of the Year voting, batted 296, uh, and uh, showed off that batting eye right out of the gate. Uh, here's a career 318 hitter. 360 on base percentage, uh, 477 slugging percentage. Someone who uh, could always hit the ball very, very well. Uh, he had 10 straight all-star appearances from his third uh, season in the majors to his, his last season. He had six gold gloves uh, and and played again uh, one of the better all-around games uh, for center field. Obviously, most notably... Uh, known for the uh, uh, World Series uh, uh, prowess uh, of uh, leading to the uh, game-winning uh, catch, yeah, catch, home run. Everything was was done in that uh, uh, particular uh, uh, particular time. Uh, has a batting title to his uh, his name. The only challenge for him was he got hit by a baseball and ended up finding out that eyesight. Uh, issues. That's what made him uh, have to walk away from the game. In his age 35 season, his final year uh, in the the majors, uh, 314 batting average, 379 on base percentage, 515 slugging percentage. He was hitting for power better later in his career than he was uh, throughout most of his his career. Uh, an unfortunate end. Uh, wasn't going to ding him for the uh, uh, for the longevity question due to that. Uh, he's someone who, if he had the chance, I think would have still kept on hitting uh, had he had the opportunity for a few more seasons. Twice as many walks to strikeouts. So always a good sign of a solid hitter. Who do you got for number eight? So my number eight is Duke Snyder. So the two that you're missing are my nine and eight here. Duke Snyder, 1950 center fielder in New York. That makes him one of Mantle, Mays, and himself. So that is one city that has all three of them, and they're all going to be on this list. He's got actually the most home runs and the most RBIs in the 1950s decade. Uh, his star was really born, though, when it is the World Series or in the postseason. He had 286 with 11 home runs and 26 RBIs in 36 World Series games. He's the only player to hit at least four home runs in two different World Series. He did that in 52 and 55. He actually appears in six total World Series. He 
only gets one win. 1955 is the only Brooklyn win over New York. Yeah, I should say only Brooklyn win. And he actually gets one in 1959 later on. He remained with the Dodgers through 1962, helping L.A. get that 1959. So Brooklyn moves to L.A. during his tenure. And 18 seasons between Brooklyn, L.A., the Mets, and the Giants. Eight All-Stars, five straight seasons of 40-plus home runs. It's a lot of power. Seven seasons of five-plus war. My number eight. Definitely the one who gets overlooked or overshadowed by some of the others within that era, but whose numbers uh, very much deserve to be mentioned in the same breath. Uh, my uh, number eight, I mentioned before, uh, it, we're noticing with both of our lists that uh, the very bottom of that list, uh, numbers eight and nine, fluid. very fluid and the challenge to like we talked uh, before we, we got started here that there's probably anywhere from eight to 20 uh, players that were being considered for those last two spots. Uh, for mine with Oscar Charlton at eight, uh, player from the uh, uh, the Negro Leagues, uh, who, uh, if you would talk to anyone who saw him play uh, and, and then compared it to uh, some of the other players that were around during this time, uh, someone had a massive amount of talent. Uh, in the Negro Leagues, he had a career uh, average, batting average of three fifty four, slugging of five seventy eight. Uh, so here's someone who could hit for contact, hit for power, uh, had uh, excellent outfield range. Uh, and uh, here's the stat that stood out to me. When he participated in head-to-head exhibition play against uh, uh, Major League Baseball's All-Stars, uh, there's a few of those, uh, actually a number of those exhibition plays that, that took place. His stats during those times, he hit 318 with 11 home runs in 53 games. Uh, so he nice. could handle the competition uh, in the uh, major league when he had those types of opportunities. So uh, a player that doesn't get usually mentioned in the same breath as Satchel Page and Josh Gibson, but very much deservingly so. I'm sad to say I didn't even look up Oscar Charlton for this, so that's that's on me. He, he had a, a long uh, career. He started with in 1915, and his last year was 1941. Uh, so he, he uh, had a, a, a long time uh, a career throughout throughout here with a number of different teams. Uh, he was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1976. Well, going from a long career to a short career, because my number seven's probably got the shortest career of anybody I'm to talk about today. That's Joe DiMaggio. Much shorter career than most. He only really gets 13 full seasons. He missed three in the middle of that to go to World War II to serve our country. The most famous is probably the 56-game hitting streak in 1941. He actually had a 61-game streak when I was doing some research in the Pacific Coast League, so that's a minor leagues in 1933. So he said 56 isn't even my best streak, which that's impressive because I don't believe anybody's ever got within eight of that, I think. is about as high as 49. Somebody get to 49 was Paul Molitor, Pete Rose. Somebody got to in the 40s once. I wonder if it was Tony Gwynn. That was the name that's popping into. into There's mind no for one me. who's gotten to it. And if you, yep. for a long time, MLB ran a thing online that if you could pick 56 straight, you win 5.6 million. Nobody's ever done it, so I think it's still going. Anyways, he's probably the first cultural icon I put down. Dating Marilyn Monroe, being mentioned in Paul Simon's songs, the face of coffees. Like he was the one who really figured out New York City and took took advantage of it and became a cultural superstar jolton joe dimaggio right uh, you mentioned the the streak uh, in that streak he struck out only five times 
and none in the final 32 games. Yeah, he's an incredible hitter. He's got two batting titles, three MVPs, and like I said, he plays 13 years. He's a 13-time All-Star. Here's the incredible bat-to-ball ability. 7,672 plate appearances. He strikes out 369 times in his career in 7,600 at-bats. That's, Chris Davis just about does that in one year right? alone. Give him 162 games. He can make a run at that. 10 seasons out of 13, a 5-plus 4. I said, if, if it was even longer, you'd be wondering what he could do, but... 13 seasons, 13 All-Stars, three MVPs. Real impressive player. I I had a hard time placing him that low, but I there's some really impressive center fielders. From here on, it's hard to place any of them uh, because I'm going to speak about my number seven. As I look back again at his career numbers, I feel bad putting him at number seven. Uh, Tris Speaker uh, is uh, from the dead ball era. Uh, played for the Boston Americans in 1907, uh, finished his career with the Philadelphia A's in 1928, uh, won the MVP award in 1912. Uh, career numbers, 345 batting average, 428 on base percentage, 500 slugging percentage. Uh, he was Ty Cobb's rival uh, from the dead ball era uh, and someone who, uh, in a different era, you wonder what type of numbers he could put up even more. Uh, so, uh, fantastic player, uh, tons of, of excellent numbers to be uh, to be looked at, uh, and still only seventh on my list. Tris Speaker was one when I was doing this. I had him farther down, and he just kept working his way up my list. So, I'll get to Tris Speaker in a little bit. Here's the one that's maybe on a list that's going to be hard to place. This is probably the hardest one. Number six, I have Mike Trout. He is simultaneously acknowledged as the best player that's going today and somehow still underrated. He's truly a generational talent who's accrued these totals while battling some fluky injuries. He hurt his wrist sliding into second. He got hurt one time, got hit by a pitch. He's battled some injuries and he's still putting up really unfathomable numbers. He's played eight full seasons at this point. He has three MVP awards. He also has four second place finishes and he has one fourth. That was when he got hurt and only played like 110 games. So eight seasons, eight all-stars, seven silver sluggers. He missed that one in the year he got hurt. Eight seasons, all eight of them over six plus war. We talk about five plus war. He has not been below six in his career, and he's had a couple of tens already. Uh, the only question I have that I, he could be as high as three on my list, I think. Now, if he keeps it up, you never know. But uh, he hasn't gotten any postseason success. And it is a team game, and well, hopefully he comes from someday. But Mike Trout is who I put at six, and if there was high more, more postseason success, I could have him 3-4, somewhere in there. He is a career 305 batting average, 419 on base percentage, 581 slugging percentage. And, and just doing the numbers from what you said, he fi- won three MVPs. He finished second four times. He's only played eight seasons, folks. He has, in, in seven of those seasons, been considered the first or second best baseball player uh, every year running. That is incredible numbers to this point. Uh, and uh, I cannot argue with your uh, pick or position of it because that's who I have at number six. Uh, Mike Trout is uh, as good as it gets. It's amazing that someone this good can be this un- unknown. I mean, it's everyone a, knows that Mike Trout's good. Acknowledged as the best player uh, and simultaneously. But, but no one has ever really seen him play. Underrated. It's the uh, yeah, it's things that he plays in the Los or Anaheim and uh, the West Coast biased, right? You had to stay up late if you're in Wisconsin to watch him or, you know, even further east, you had to stay up later. So it's it's sad because 
he, he really should be acknowledged as just a Hall of Fame caliber player. And I'm not, I, I said people recognize him as the best, but it's a sensational career already. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it a point this year to actually watch some Angels games. Uh, they're one of the teams that intrigues me anyways. I'll save that for the next podcast. Uh, but uh, someone that I, I want to see him play, I want to appreciate his level of, of play. So, and I would encourage that for anyone else too. If you haven't had a chance to actually watch uh, Mike Trout uh, play, do so in this shortened season. There's not much else on anyways. Uh, <laughs> but you are... Uh, I looked at the MLB TV uh, package. I think it's like sixty it's not bucks. Not bad this year. Yeah, I think it's uh, a buck a game is essentially where we're at right now. And if you've had it in previous years, there's a fifteen dollar off discount that's out there. Uh, so I'm getting ready to take advantage of that today myself and, and lock it up. So let's go to number five here. My number five as I have Ken Griffey Jr. at number five, the first overall pick in 1987, the natural, the kid, whatever you want to nickname him. It's 22 seasons total, but injuries really ravaged the second half of his career. Do you think he could have been one with healthy? He could have been, yeah. He could have been, he could have more home runs than Hank Aaron. He could have beat that record before Barry Bonds did it if he'd have stayed healthy at least. And uh, most of the injuries come when he hits Cincinnati, which is his hometown team. A first father-son duo to ever play at the same time, even on the same team for a while. So uh, he plays those 22 seasons. It's 13 All-Stars, 10 Gold Gloves. Seven silver sluggers and one MVP, but Israel Israel career is from 1993 to 2000. That's the part that you want to focus on. Those are mostly the Seattle years. 40-plus home runs every season but one, and that year he breaks his wrist, actually. And that even includes that strike shortened season. 94 was going off for to be one incredible year because that year gets shortened by a strike, and he's done in early August, and he's already over 40 home runs. He was making a legitimate run at Roger Maris' 61 at that time. So even though he has all those injuries, he has to deal with it. He's still seventh all-time in home runs with 630. He didn't really have much of team success in the playoffs, but it wasn't due to his individual performance because in 95 alone, he had five homers in one single series against the Yankees. Uh, Nine seasons of five-plus war again. So Ken Griffey Jr., you just always got to ask what could have been because it's a Hall of Fame career for sure, but it could have been the career you're looking at a potential top five player of all time. Uh, that was the talent he had. Ten All-Stars, ten Gold Gloves, an MVP award. He's uh, Everything was there, uh, and then the injuries uh, happen. Uh, and uh, someone who was just fun to watch play, uh, as smooth of an athlete as you'll ever find, one of the best swings uh, that you'll ever watch. Uh, so it, it wasn't just the the numbers, but it was how he played that that left you very uh, uh, in awe. Did you hear the cool Stan Musial Ken Griffey birthday fact? No, I was looking this up. So Stan Musial is born November twenty first, nineteen twenty, in Denora, Pennsylvania, making him the most famous Denora, Pennsylvania native. Ken Griffey, November twenty first, nineteen sixty nine, in Denora, Pennsylvania. They have the same birthday in the same town. So who is the most famous Denorian? That, what a town, huh? That's uh, So how many years in between the, the two? 45. No, oh, sorry, 49. 49, and Griffey was born what year? 69. So if we want to keep that trend going, uh, the next great DeLorean should be two years he's, old right he's now. He's getting there, right? That's what a, what a town. I mean, that town's got to have something in the water. Cause, okay, he was, your, was he your number five? I'm sorry. Or did I jump over your number five? No, my uh, my five is uh, DiMaggio. Uh, that's oh, DiMaggio, where, I, okay. where I have him uh, uh, selected here, and 
Yeah, the numbers as we talked about the adding and losing three peak uh, seasons uh, for serving his country. Uh, his MVP awards were 39, 41, and 47. So came back in, uh, in that second uh, stint of his career uh, being able to do that. But again, at, 40, uh, at 41, if you'd have another uh, few of those peak years, uh, his numbers would be even more. Uh, but a career 325 batting average, 398 on base percentage, 579 slugging percentage, uh, larger than life in every facet of the of the word, uh, as, as mentioned for some of the cultural uh, captive uh, uh, that he held uh, the nation and the uh, on that legendary uh, team, uh, all the nostalgia, everything with it, the big names that were there, and he's smack dab in the middle of them all. So my number four, you've mentioned already, is my number four is Tris Speaker. First off, when I started doing my Tris Speaker research here, it talks it's all about the defense when you first start because he apparently played so shallow that he could have turned double plays because he, he basically said, I will take away the singles for any ball hit over my head, and he must have mastered this because it was all about how shallow he played. He led the AL center fielders in assists eight times, uh, put out seven times. He still ranks first in big league history in assists. Um, so that, I couldn't believe when they were talking about this guy coming in to th- turn double plays, but it must have been a different team then. Almost a fifth infielder is how they described it. But first nine seasons in Boston, then he goes to 11 in Cleveland after he wins an MVP award in Boston in 1912. But uh, money things, they sell him. So maybe the second most famous seller, sell, sold player of all time. But uh, he leads only player with tw- three 20-plus game hitting streaks in one season. He went 0 for 5 on June 16th, or it would have been a 51-game streak. So he could have made a run at that, but not quite. Uh, helps Cleveland win a World Series. Helps Boston win a World Series. He's the player manager for nine or seven seasons in Cleveland. And he's one we talk about how hard it is to keep this career going. He definitely does not have a drop-off in his career. At 37 years old, he still hits 389 with a 479 on base percentage and a 578 slugging at the age of 40. So I... He struck out nine times, or sorry, eight times. Don't want to make it too hard here. Eight times in 597 plate appearances at the age of 40. I talked about Joe DiMaggio's incredible bat to ball, where he had 369 strikeouts in 7,600 plate appearances. Tris Speaker is an unfathomable prowess at hitting this ball. In 12,000 plate appearances, he has 393 strikeouts with over 1,300 walks. That's almost a four to one ratio. He's still the career leader in doubles. 15 straight seasons of five plus four with another two in there later on. So 17 seasons of five plus four and that K to walk ratio is just unworldly good. So he's my number four. Like I said, I felt guilty about having him at, at seven. He's uh, his career. He started is... about seven for me and worked his way up. So yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out. I was like that. Some of those walk K numbers, I just kept bumping him up on my list. So you think of uh, when talking defense, uh, the, True elite center fielders, you notice that common thread. They all play shallow Mm -hmm. because they have the athleticism and speed to get back to it. And so they shorten the the field uh, with being more closer up. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer for the the Tampa Mm -hmm. Bay Rays is known as one of the players that is the most shallow center fielder and has a couple of platinum gloves uh, on his uh, shelf. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, yeah, Uh, so you're seeing a, a guy who can do that very well. Uh, and uh, Tris Speaker, uh, incredible uh, a player, uh, to say the least. For me, at uh, number four, this is where I placed Ken Griffey. Uh, and uh, and we, we've talked about uh, 
his his numbers, his ability, uh, and uh, again, despite the injuries, like we said, the he he was a power hitter, but he didn't act the way a power hitter does. Uh, you know, like the uh, the numbers that would be there. I mean, again, second all time was six thirty. Am I remembering that right? He had six thirty. It's now what's what is it? Sixth all time. Yeah, what numbers have changed over yeah. there. Oh, when he quit six thirty. Yeah, that was probably second all time. Uh, probably third all time. Willie Mays had. That doesn't matter, but yeah, yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and someone who, uh, just that sweet swing, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, the best player of my generation uh, of getting a chance to watch play. Uh, happy to say that. Yeah, that left-handed swing is famous, right? So. If we're talking center fielders here, once again, you're going to notice there's quite a clear tier at the top, as good as all these players have been. We're going to have the same top three. I don't know if we're going to have them in order, but neither one of us has mentioned Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, or Willie Mays, and I'm noticed po- that, huh? quite positive that Dan's going to have those same top three. So let me start with Ty Cobb because he's my number three, and that's almost impossible to say because he could very easily be my number one, but he's my number three. I just have his drive to be the best oftentimes came off as prickly, uh, that's probably putting it mildly. Yeah, too. they. He was famous for going in with the spikes up, and he really wanted to win games, and he didn't care if you didn't like him because he wanted to win baseball games. So in 1905, he joins the Tigers, where he plays 22 years before he finishes off with a couple with Philadelphia. When he retired, he owns 43 records. When he retired, he had 43 of them, including career batting average, which he still owns at an absurd 366 career batting average. Career. career that is that is insanity you don't see you don't see single seasons like that hardly ever anymore 366 career batting average nine consecutive batting titles from 1907 to 1915 until tris speaker gets him once and then he adds another three so uh 12 out of 13 years he gets him i believe he hits 320 or better for 22 consecutive seasons 320 or better and over 403 times during that time that you can't Quantify that today. It doesn't happen. You'll never see that again. Uh, 1909, he becomes, he leads the league, gets a triple crown. The only time he leads the league in home runs. And somehow that year isn't as good as 1911 when he won the MVP. He gets a three AL pennants, most votes ever in the, in the initial Hall of Fame class, the inaugural one. 13 straight seasons of five plus war. He had 18 total. Couple of 11 seasons in there and positive for all 24 years. He never falls off. He just keeps hitting his whole career. There's a, when you lead the league in career batting average for all time, still, you know, you're and probably never to be beaten. I'd be shocked if that one's ever beaten. So an incredible player. Uh, at age 41, he hits 323. Uh, some argued that if, uh, if the DH rule would have been in effect, he could have hit till he was 50. Uh, he was that good of a, of a hitter uh, in 12 batting titles, hit 400 twice, uh, just uh, an incredible uh, uh, player. I'm going to uh, reverse order. I'm going to talk about him now, but he's my number two. Okay. Uh, so that's where I have I have Ty Cobb ranked. And there's so many stories uh, about Ty Cobb, uh, and good and bad <laughs> all, all together. But here's the one that I, I appreciated. On, on May 5th, 1925, uh, Ty Cobb was angered that a, a writer called him a singles hitter. Uh, this sounds like uh, uh, Michael Jordan uh, in the uh, uh, the series that just just came out. Went to Netflix this last weekend. It did. Yeah, I saw that. I, I've 
I didn't check it out on Netflix. I watched it live. So, and, yeah, and, so I went to Netflix. And those are the ones where he sits there and says, so that motivated me or that angered me. That happened with Ty Cobb here on May 5th, 1925. So then he goes out and goes 6 for 6 with three home runs and a double for a total of 16 total bases, then an American League record. Uh, Can't imagine it's been beaten so many times since then, but... I mean, I guess there's some four home run games. You can probably get up to 18, 20, but 16 is a incredible number that probably lasted a long time. The the other thing that's interesting about him that gets overlooked is uh, some have called him the uh, the greatest ba- base stealer of his era. He was very good on the base pass, and part of that probably is because uh, you didn't really want to challenge him at second with those spikes coming at you. The, the steal numbers lasted for... 60 years also till Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock and some of those guys got in there. But there's one year he steals. I mean, there's multiple years he gets into the 60s or above. He had a 96 steal season, which I believe lasted for 60 years until Ricky Henderson beat that one. So, yeah, the base stealing. I think he had 890, 892 stolen bases for his career. That's that's a lot of steals. <laughs> he, again, one of the players from the, the dead ball era that we referenced, he still had a 950 OPS before uh, they changed to a, a more livelier ball. I- impressive all the way around. Yes, so I is. took that as my, uh, talking about my number two, but let me get to my number three, and that's Mickey Mantle. Uh, and like I said, that's where we had the, uh, the, the order is, uh, for these three, you can make the case for anyone. Uh, and Mickey Mantle, uh, there's so many good uh pinstripe players that were being referenced here. Uh, they get brought up a lot alone. on these co-podcasts. Uh, but here, the, the numbers, uh, as you expect, are are incredible. 20-time All-Star, uh, Triple Crown winner in, in 56, three-time MVP. Some said he easily could have had six uh, during his career. Has a gold glove uh, in there as well. Career 298 batting average, 421 on base percentage, 557 uh, slugging percentage. Am I at your number two or? You're at my number one. So Mickey Mantle, it's the postseason success that bumps him to number one. And that probably happens for a few Yankees on mine, but that's okay. 18 years, all with New York. And he somehow has this success while he battles injuries. Like hitting the ball was easy. Running around the bases was the hard part. That's his own quote. He didn't, his body was falling apart. He had a big injury, osteomyelitis, which he got in youth football, which probably at least sapped some of the speed later in his career. He's a switch hitter. You mentioned some of these 18 straight all-star games, triple crown, MVP awards. It's the postseason success. 12 pennants, seven World Series title. No World Series MVP was awarded yet then, but if you look at the records, he would have gotten a few of them. He still holds the following World Series records. Most walks, most extra base hits, most home runs, most RBIs, most runs scored, and most total bases. So he retires. He's the first the first switch hitter to ever have 530 home runs. He has 536. And for a player with that much power, he still has more walks than strikeouts. I He ended up being my number one. So I you could make the I said, you can switch them all around. I went with postseason success and bumped him up a little bit. He scored more than 100 runs in seven consecutive seasons, drew 100 or more walks in eight seasons, uh, and had an OPS over over 1,000 eight times in a 10-year span. Uh, you want to talk batting average, you want to talk power, uh, any type of o- offensive statistic that you would like to put out there, his name was at the top of all of it. And you can easily say he was the best switch, switch hitter 
of all time. Definitely in discussion. So that means my two is your one. So my two, Willie Mace, that's Dan's one. I'm going to spoiler alert. Uh, played in the Negro Leagues at age 16 with Birmingham. 1950s, the rookie of the year for the New York Giants. So I talked about those New York center fielders. At one time, New York has Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Duke Snyder all playing in the same city. And that's in the famed polo grounds, not around anymore. He took advantage of that weird dimensions of that ballpark to help them win the 51 pennant. And then he misses most of 52 and all of 53 in the Army for the Korean War. Back in 54, that year is his first All-Star game, his first MVP, the first and only World Series win, and that's the year of the famous catch where he ranges back 460 feet, it's estimated, catches the ball over his shoulder and turns around and whips it perfectly on a dime to hold the runner from scoring all the way from second base. Uh, 21 straight years with the Giants, two with the Mets, 24 times an All-Star, tied for the most all-time, couple all-star MVP awards, couple regular MVP awards, 12 straights gold gloves. Wow. The, the say, Hey kid, uh, with, uh, all around a, a play that was uh, a marvel to, to watch. You mentioned all the all-star game appearances, the MVPs, that 660 home runs. Uh, he, uh, had so many, uh, legendary moments, and so yeah, he's my my number one. So let's go back and just give our our top three because we kind of bounced around mm-hmm. a bit just because it made an easy opportunity talking back and forth. Uh, but for me, my top three: uh, Willie Mays one, Ty Cobb two, Mickey Mantle three. So mine would be Mickey Mantle one, Willie Mays two, Ty Cobb three. So I think this is the first time that our top three were completely interchangeable. Uh, and all of, all of them, like we said, you could put anywhere on this list. Yours might be completely different, too. There's only so many ways you can <laughs> redo this list, but uh, I think it's safe to say here's your top three that you're going to find on pretty much every list. The interesting one is still how long does Mike Trout play? If Mike Trout's career continues on this current trajectory it's on, if he gets another 10 years and it doesn't fall off, Mike Trout's going to find himself in that discussion. Uh, you could put him at four right now and make a case for it. I put him at six. You put him at six. Can he sustain his excellence throughout his career and make a run at those literal legends of the game? The only thing that separates him yet uh, is not having the defensive acumen that some of the others do. Uh, as uh, So far, no gold gloves uh, to his name. Now, he's he's no slouch in center field either. Uh, but he's also a unique physical specimen. He looks more like a linebacker than he does a center fielder. Center fielders have more of that graceful uh, athleticism about about them. He's a, a thundering linebacker that has good speed that can go back and get a uh, a ball over his head too. Well, we hope he. I just hope he plays out the remainder of his career because if he or the remainder of that contract, he signed that twelve-year, four hundred and twenty million, making a run at Patrick Mahomes contract. I believe two years ago. And if he played that out till 2030, then that would mean he's got nine more years on his career. If he plays well for those whole nine years, then we can start to have the discussion. Is Mike Trout, Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays. Is that list of three, a list of four. We'll find out in the next uh, nine years with Mm -hmm. that. He is halfway uh, through his career and he began at age 19. Uh, He is going into his age 28 season. This is normally the prime of career time. 
and if you look at his overall numbers, first I wanted to point out the, the speed aspect. Uh, in his first full year, he stole 49 bases. He led the American League in stolen bases in that year. Uh, and now he's consistent. He's been in double digits ever since. Those numbers have gone down, uh, but he's still in, in double digits uh, in each year uh, since then. Uh, and you have, I'm trying to get to the numbers here, over the course of, of nine years, he's at 285 home runs. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, and that, that power has been coming up since his, uh, since his age uh, 22 season. He has averaged uh, over 35 or 36 home runs uh, a year. It, he's an incredible player that you just hope it keeps going because I want to see it. And like you said, make a concerted effort to watch the Mike Trout this year, everybody, just because you, you got to appreciate how amazing he really is. On our next uh, podcast this week, we are going to be giving you our final uh, season preview, uh, and we'll make sure that comes out. Uh, I want to point out, we, we've, we've given some of this, but we can switch because it's coronavirus. So anything can change after like two weeks. And uh, that's the, that's the model of coronavirus. So if you go back and listen to our, our divisional previews, I can switch my picks. And uh, I was going to mention in that one, I have a rookie of the year change due to uh, uh, coronavirus. You don't think Casey Cesaro is going to get so it anymore? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm making a switch to my American League pick. Uh, but uh, in our next podcast, we're going to do our final preview. Who's going to uh, be in the World Series, win it, our, our award show, uh, of who our predictions are leading up to that, as well as our top uh, five storylines and under-overs. Uh, we have made that... Uh, uh, secretive. Uh, Corey doesn't know my list. I don't know his, and he's just going to ask him to me uh, when we're on air, uh, and uh, we'll see what uh, what our initial uh, knee-jerk reaction is to those. So stick around for uh, Thursday morning. That one will come out, uh, so this way we can have that completed before the first games begin later on that night. So baseball's here, everyone. Get ready for a, a, a wild ride. That's right. Take care. Thank you.